0: It was 4 a.m., and there was smoke in the room. This had been months in the making. and It was a battle for world domination. The conversations were intense, and they were serious, and they were all centered around a card table that one of the roommates had taken out of his mother's basement. And there sat on the card table the old game of risk, complete, with a game that, I'm not kidding, had been going on for months and was stored in a neutral location because there was a lack of trust amongst some of, the, amongst some of the players. There were no women involved, predictably. It was 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning. They had other better things to do. And if any of us gentlemen were associated with a woman at a time, I think we probably wouldn't have been in that room either. But there we were, all sitting in the room. And then it happened. One of my friends was double-crossed by somebody that he thought was a friend, and he looked at him astonished as as the game was now over for him, and his territory had been attacked by an ally that he thought he could count on, and he looked at him, and the guy across the table looked at him, and just with an evil laugh and trying to channel his best movie villain, looked at him and said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And started laughing, and my friend did not find this funny, and I was over, I, I don't know which is sadder, the fact that this game was happening or the fact that there were people like me watching this game happen at 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I'm not sure, but all I know is the next thing I know, this game that had been going on for months. My friend who was just eliminated took the card table and overturned it. And up into the air go all of the pieces and the board game. And there was really about to be real violence that was about to begin right then. It was not anyone's finest hour. And you know me. I'm just there. And I, I, you know, I'm a peacemaker, but... It takes a while to get to that, and so I'm sitting there trying to commentate on the fight that I'm hoping breaks out before anything else, and and there was just chaos in this room, just chaos in this room, all over a board game, all because somebody thought they could count on somebody else to be their friend and to be their ally, but all of a sudden, they had a mutual enemy, and then they became friends Instead, now we see this play out in our lives sometimes in much grander ways and much more serious situations. Maybe some of you got caught up recently in the Barben, Barbenheimer uh, chaos, and some of you went to Barbie and then Oppenheimer, and, and you, you took in both features, or some of you drew the line. You're like, I'm Team Barbie, I'm Team Oppenheimer. But when you, when you think about Oppenheimer, it's a, it's a biopic of somebody who developed. The, the nuclear weapons, and, and you think at the atomic bomb, and think about this, go back to World War II, and you think about people that we allied ourselves with in the name of a greater cause, around what? The fact that we had a shared enemy. And now you look at how history has played out and how geopolitical things have occurred and how one time allies and one-time foes have flipped the script. It's just part of the world in which we live. And that's not unique to our situation. It's not unique to our circumstance. In fact, this was going on in the early church as well. It's something that we have seen a little bit play out as we've looked at the development of the early church, but it really ramps up today as we continue our look at the early church by going through the book of Acts and what we see today is we're going to see an alliance that was formed because there was a shared enemy and the shared enemy was the church it was people who put their faith and trust in Jesus they were the enemy and we're going to see what happened as a result of that. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find whatever app store you utilize. It's got a number of great features within the app. One of the features is called events, and there you can type in Lakeside Community Church, Algoma, or enable your locations, and this morning's morning's notes will pop up. You can follow along with us right there in your device. You can make notes, you can highlight things, you can save things, it's a great feature. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're gonna be in the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, and if you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for watching. My name is Brian, I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below. As we see, the gospel's been spreading across the region, But it is now the target because there are some enemies of the church and they have united. Acts chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. This is Herod, Herod, Agrippa I. He is the great, he, excuse me, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was king at the time of the birth of Jesus, and now his grandson has assumed the throne. And he had a rocky relationship with Rome, who oversaw the region. And he had a rocky relationship with a lot of people because he essentially had defrauded them. He'd essentially taken loans from people that he never repaid. And so he was imprisoned at one point, and now he had gotten out of prison and he is now risen again to power. And here he is in control. But he's made a lot of enemies. So in the process, his rule was never on the most secure footing. He always had these, he always had these people who were gunning for him. He always had these people who wanted his spot, even more so than what is typical in that role and the reason is because of the number of enemies that he's that he had made previously from the people he defrauded from from the way that he conducted himself there was some infidelity involved with with his life as well so you name it you defraud people of money you have infidelity you you have relationships with with other people's spouses, and all of a sudden you have people who are gunning for you. You have made a number of enemies, and that was true of Herod Agrippa I. He had a number of enemies. He had a number of enemies. Now the Jews, they were hating what was happening with the early church, and they were a large portion of the people That Herod Agrippa was overseeing. And so all of a sudden, he figures out that if he goes after the shared enemy of the Jews, which is the church, which is those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, then he can earn political capital with a large contingency. And so that is exactly what he starts to do. And he ramps up the violence against people that had made the decision to follow after Jesus. And then Luke continues what occurred in verses two and three. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So what we see here is Herod figures out that he can earn favor from the Jews by going after the Christians, and we see the first apostle now who's martyred. Not the first martyr, we've seen Stephen was already previously martyred, but we see the first apostle now. the James, the brother of John, he is the, one of the disciples, he is the first one who has now been put to death. He has been killed, and Peter has been arrested. And Herod, for all of his faults, he was a really good politician. And the reason that I say that is because of when he timed out this violence. He kills James, and he arrests Peter right at the the time where it would get the most positive reaction from the Jews. Unleavened bread was a feast a week of it, unleavened bread was a feast, and it was a week. It was a week long. And the whole point of the feast of unleavened bread was the to bring attention to the idea of sanctification. Sanctification means you are becoming set apart. You're becoming more and more like God. And so the Jews devoted themselves to a week of time where they had this feast, the feast of unleavened bread. And it lasted for a week, and it was a week-long period where they set themselves apart apart, especially to be holy as God is holy. And think about it. The Jews have this week-long festival where they are gathering together, where they are talking amongst themselves, where they are thinking and talking about all all of the things that they are experiencing, all the things that they are encountering. And in their mind, people that have followed Jesus are following a false god. They have not accepted the divinity of of Christ, meaning they have not seen that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And so they are opposed to the work that the church is doing. And so what better time to come in if you're trying to earn the favor of people than to recognize here are all of these people gathered together. And the whole focus of their time together is that they need to be set apart. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to kill somebody who they look at as saying, this this person is corrupt. And I'm going to arrest another high profile leader in the faction that they are against. It's brilliant political timing. Brilliant political timing. And that's what Herod does. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. Delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. James has been killed, Peter has been arrested. And notice, they don't just put him in jail. They put him him in prison, and they have four squads of soldiers who are guarding him. And Herod's intent is after Passover's over to bring him out to the people, knowing that Peter, too, will be executed. Peter's in prison. In the church, they start to pray. Many of them have experienced persecution. Many of them have experienced turmoil, have had to flee, have had to leave parts of their life behind because they made the decision to follow after Jesus. And here they see James. He's been killed. And here they see Peter, and he's in prison. And what is the natural response of God's people? That they pray, and they pray earnestly. I don't know the situation that you're facing right now. I don't know how life looks bleak and the future seems uncertain and it doesn't seem very promising. I don't know every situation, every circumstance that you're facing. But what I do know is this, that when you face it, your default, your go-to, your first thing should be to pray earnestly. And as people that love and follow after God, as people that love and follow after Jesus, we have to recognize that there are situations and there are circumstances that we're going to face and that we're going to endure that we don't necessarily want to face and we don't necessarily want to endure, but that we are never, ever alone when we face those things. So I just want to invite you right now in the quietness of this moment, in the quietness of your heart, to pray for that situation and to pray for that circumstance. The one that is exceptionally bleak. The one that it seems like there is no hope. The one that when you think about it, it seems like the world is crumbling down around you because of that. I want you to lift that up to God right now. Luke continues, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. This is like maximum security. Peter isn't going anywhere. He isn't going anywhere. They have him chained. They have multiple guards looking after him. This situation is less than ideal. It is not good And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision. And God does the absolute miraculous here. He does the miraculous. Peter is chained. He is stuck in prison. There are guards all around him. And in the middle of the night, a light shines. And there's not electricity. A light shines. And an angel wakes up Peter and says, put on your clothes, let's go, we're getting out of here. And Peter goes along with it. And all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute this is actually happening. This is actually real. I mean, put yourself in, in that, that, that space. It's about 3.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden, you're not really sure anymore if you're dreaming or if this is actually happening until the next morning you wake up and realize there is an empty bowl of of, of cereal right there on the right there on the counter in an empty box of fruit loops next to it and you're like well I guess that wasn't a dream I guess that really did happen that's purely hypothetical I don't know where I came up with that you know but yeah just put yourself put yourself in a scenario like that and that's what's happening here that Peter thinks this is too good to be true He thinks what's happening is too good to be true. He thinks that this is just some vision that he has by God. And all of a sudden he realizes, no, I'm walking out of this place like I just got parole. Like this is, this is incredible. And I just want to ask you a question. Is when is the last time in your life? That God has done something that you've just had to pinch yourself or you just have to shake your head and you just have to you just have to remind yourself that no, this actually happened. this is actually real when's the last time that God worked that way in your life? that doesn't mean that this is normative it doesn't mean that that every person that's ever in the history of of Society who has given their life to Jesus and been persecuted because of that has received a miracle. I'm not saying that. But when is the last time that God has shown up in a really big way in your life and worked in a really significant way? Just blessed you immensely. When is that? And here's the next question that I want you to answer. When's the last time you've asked him to? Because our posture sometimes is we're in chains, and the guards are all around us. And rather than our default being to cry out to God and ask Him to intervene, our default starts to be these chains are. They're really tight on my wrists. The AC in this cell really leaves something to be desired. I don't have any privacy. And our posture really quickly becomes we start to complain and we start to, we start to find ourselves in the circumstances that we are. And, and rather than spend our time and our energy calling out to God and and Rather than that being our default, our default becomes we complain. And we focus instead on our circumstances. And sometimes the reason we stay stuck, not all the time, but sometimes the reason we stay stuck is simply because we haven't asked God. To do anything about our situation. And we've spent our time complaining, and we've spent our time scheming, and we've spent our time trying to figure it out ourselves. And so you know that really big thing that I just asked you to pray for? I'm going to ask you to pray for it again. I'm going to ask you to ask God to show up and to work in a really big way, right now. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate Leading into the city, it opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter is overcome with this fact that God has rescued him. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So what we have now is Peter has miraculously been taken out of prison. And now he goes to Mary's house where many have gathered together. And when adversity comes, I just want to invite you, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to do it all on your own. It it is not a sign of being secure. It is not a sign of being strong to feel like you have to endure every circumstance and every situation that you encounter in your life by yourself. God has designed us community. God has designed us for one another. And I recognize there are people who are more comfortable with, with different levels of connections and everything else, but every single one of us has a need to live in community so that when situations like this occur, notice what the response is. You have an entire team of people who are gathered together praying for Peter he is not alone and he is not isolated and he shows up and he knocks and Rhoda comes out and she hears Peter's voice and she leaves him standing outside because she's so excited that God has just worked i love this i love that Peter's out there knocking and Rhoda Rhoda hears Peter and then she just runs back inside because she's so excited we're, we're so glad that, that God has brought Jacob and Janessa to, to the team, and uh, Jacob filled in, did a great job last week while I was out on vacation, and, and just enhancing so many areas of, of ministry here at Lakeside. We're so glad that, that they're part of the team, and, and that Jacob is here and, and serving, and, and part of our process of getting to know people, one of the questions that I frequently ask people if they're married is, tell me your story. Tell me how did how did you how did you get engaged? I love that question. How did you get engaged? And Jacob told us the story of of how he got engaged. And I'll let him tell the whole story sometime. But what I love about the story is as Jacob asked Janessa to marry him, she just took the ring and put it on. She never gave him an answer. She just put the ring on her finger. And it wasn't until later on when he was on a conversation with somebody on the phone and they asked did she say yes he had to say "Mm, not really she just put the ring on her finger so it ended up all right for them and that's what's going on here that's what's going on here peter knocks rhoda hears peter's voice she runs back inside because she is so excited and peter's just left standing outside and she goes in and she tells everybody hey peter's out of jail And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. Listen, teenagers, it's not new for nobody to believe anything that you say, all right? We see it here, too. We see it here, too, so don't take it personally. But they're thinking, it's not, Peter. We're glad you're excited, Rhoda, but you're wrong, You're wrong. It's an angel. It's something else. But Peter's in prison. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Peter keeps knocking. They finally come, and they open open the door, and they're celebrating. They're celebrating the miraculous. They're celebrating what they have seen. And notice what Peter does. He quiets them down to make sure to tell of how God has worked. We need to be careful that we remember the giver of the blessing and not just the blessing. We need to be careful that we don't just just grow so accustomed to, to how God has blessed us that we take for granted the fact that that blessing is from God. And here they are celebrating and they are ecstatic about what they have seen. And Peter quiets them down to proclaim the fame of God. And to give him the glory. And now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Peter's gone, he's missing. And the soldiers, they're executed. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That is an awesome an awesome story to learn about in Sunday school that I never learned about in Sunday school. But just think about what you can do with that. I mean, granted, you probably don't want worms crawling in the church for the rest of the week after that lesson, but what an incredible lesson. Now, why? Why? does God strike down Herod at this time? I mean... I can get behind God killing Herod, don't get me wrong. That part doesn't bother me. Maybe we're different in that. Maybe that's the part that really bothers you. The part that I have questions about is, hey God, aren't we a couple weeks late? How about before James is killed, we just knock off Herod? I mean, we're going to do it anyway, and then we're going to do that part with the worms and everything. So why don't we just do that before James is killed and before Peter's put in prison? See, because if I'm God, that's how I operate. Oh, you're going to oppose somebody that's doing my will? You're going to attack somebody who's a leader in the church and making sure that the hope of Jesus is spread across this region? Why does God act now? I can't tell you. I can't tell you why God allowed James to be killed. And not Peter. I can't tell you why God allowed Peter to endure time in prison. I can't tell you why God allows suffering. I have a pretty good idea why he struck Herod down here. And Luke gives us clues just a couple of verses earlier. Notice the difference in responses. When Peter is miraculously taken out of prison, and he shows up, he makes it a point, makes it a point, to not just embrace the blessing, but to remember its source. And now here is Herod, who has donned himself himself in robes, and he's gone out, and he's given a speech, and he's, he's making more political moves here. And the response of the people is one of worship to him. And they cry out, you are a God. And he accepts it. And he embraces it. And immediately that's his downfall. We live in a culture, we live in a society that wants to worship. The only problem is what our culture and what our society wants to worship is seldom the one who is worthy of worship. We want to worship celebrities. We want to worship politicians that we agree with. We want to worship the wealthy. And This is a reminder that we as people that love and follow after God need to be very careful of what we worship. And we may not bow down and cry out, you are God, at someone. But how we follow, the amount of time and the amount of, of resources that we pour into things, that indicates our intent. And God here protects his glory. And Herod is killed. But the word of God increased and multiplied. In the midst of persecution... In the midst of hardship, the message and the hope of Jesus continues to spread. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Barnabas and Saul come back and bring John Mark with them. And why do they do this? They do this to serve God. At the very time that doing so was a risk to their lives, they emerged back on the scene together, willing to face the consequences. And this is, is really the the half the half point of the book of Acts. Persecution is ramped up. But God is still at work. God is at work in the good times. When God blesses us, he is good. And we need to remember not just the blessing, but the source of the blessing. And God is at work in the bleak times and in the uncertain times. And when life is difficult, and we are desperate, and there is despair and defeat on our horizon, God is still good. His goodness does not change with our circumstances, and our response shouldn't either. In the good times, we should praise God and follow after Him. In the bad times, we should praise God and follow after Him. And there will be good times in your life. And there will be more challenging things than you ever thought you would ever have to endure. So the challenge for us is this. It's to remember God in the good times. And not just His blessing. And when we face despair and discouragement and defeat seems imminent. And hope seems like it's nowhere to be found. To be people whose first response and first reaction is to pray. And to live our lives in such a way that every single one of us is part of a community. And part of something bigger than ourselves. So that when the moments come and we're taken to prison and the future looks bleak and it looks like the end is near. that We know we have people who love us and support us and are praying for the exact same thing that we've been praying for all along. So I want to encourage you when when discouragement and despair comes that's not fun. And I don't know why God always does what he does. I I don't. Sometimes looking back you figure it out. Sometimes you don't. But I really want to encourage you. Instead of disappointment, instead of complaining to be your defaults. Make it prayer. And start there. And have those couple people that you can count on, that you know are praying right next to you. And I promise you this, it will change your life. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect, doesn't mean everything's gonna be easy, but that will change your life. And when God blesses you, and He will, don't fail to see the giver of the blessing. God, I pray that we would be people who in the good times and the bad worship. When life is good, and we're reminded of your goodness, may we remember you. When the future is bleak, and defeat and despair seem certain, may we worship you. God, make prayer our default posture. Let it be more than something that that we just talk about, but let it be something that we practice, something that we implement. God, we don't know why you always do what you do. So help us, especially in those moments where we don't understand to trust. We pray that every person that walks in these doors, God, knows that they are loved by you first and foremost. And knows that they are loved by us at Lakeside. I pray that every person that walks in this place would recognize that they don't have to walk through life alone. When the hard times come, that they know that their support is here, and the people love them and are praying with. Them. work in us individually so that corporately we can be the community that you have called us to be. Let this be the posture of our lives. And may you be glorified, Jesus. In your name we pray.